Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Golf Badgers. My name is Sam Cooper and along with my co-host James Bledge, we'll be talking to some of our friends from across the golfing industry. In this pilot episode, I'll be asking Bledge about his fascinating career to date and a particularly interesting project he's working towards in July. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent the last two years travelling around England, Scotland and Wales in my campervan, playing every Lynx course along the way. Normally, with Mrs C and our two dogs. I've now played almost all of the 224 courses on my list. Now, I'm working as a golf course architect with the firm of Clayton de Vries and Pont. If you have an interest in the design, maintenance and running of golf courses, especially in the British Isles, hopefully golf badges will be of interest to you. So, without further ado, this is episode one of Golf Badges, an interview with James Bledge. We hope you enjoy it. Let's let's talk first about where the Golf Badgers name come from. Okay, go, should we so, start with Golf Badgers? Uh, we need to give a, a, a shout out for this, for Liam Brown. Who may who may end up listening to this? I'll probably push him to, but uh, Liam, a uh, good friend of mine, member at Royal St George's, amongst many many, many courses, many. Uh, and yeah, we all of a sudden Liam started calling someone who was really into something a badger, so it'd be like a wine badger or a car badger or a watch badger, well, cricket badger, cricket, cricket badger. badger uh, pretty much everything's come out. And then, yeah, the golf badger one really stuck, and I started affectionately naming you a golf badger because you're right into golf, and I, well, I'm a golf badger as well. So uh, a badger is right now renamed in the Oxford Dictionary as someone who's really into something. Yeah, true. Tonight, tonight true we are obsessive. Uh, we are tonight we are Brewdog, Radiohead, and Pink Floyd badgers yes, sponsored by. Yes, uh, other beers are available, but uh, yeah, what. My career, I, well, I started eight years at Dumfries and Galloway Golf Club. Uh, it's where my heart is, really, to be honest. I still love the place. I've still got a lot of great friends there. I uh, like to frequent the bar on New Year's Day still. It's a great buzz about the place. Uh, and then I uh, winter in, uh, sorry, a summer in Norway at Micklegard Golf, Robert Trent Jones, yeah. the second golf course. Uh, creeping bent greens, moose. Walking about the place, uh, beautiful rolling landscapes, and after that came back and I worked at. I had a quite an interesting job actually for a winter. I I uh, barcoded uh, uh, cardboard boxes for cat eye drops in a in a warehouse. Sounds niche. Uh, and because usually the idea of working in Norway is yeah, and that much money working there in the winter that you can have so in the summer you can have the winter off. Oh, wow. But I wanted to kind of keep earning a little bit and then. I didn't last too long doing that. I absolutely despised it. So uh, ended up uh, working across, uh, went to Gullin, uh, worked there for, for a little bit, and then ended up up at King's Barnes for three years yeah. with Ennis Knight, a uh, fantastic greenkeeper. And then uh, got great experience on Dunhill Cups, first kind of high-end, proper high-end golf course I've worked at. Uh, and then after that, I got my first opportunity of real management where I worked at the, the, the PGA National Sweden, which was a construction growing, two golf courses, both Kyle Phillips again, 
uh, Lynx course, Pure Fesky Golf Course, and the Lakes Course, which is a creep-up event, which went on to hold Scandinavian Masters quite right? a few times in Nordia. Uh, came back from that and uh, ended up at G West, which is the... Uh, the course the, it was, never was. The course, I know. I actually seen another picture of it today on Twitter, which breaks my heart even more. So it's a uh, Scotland's. It's an interesting story that one. Best or Why worst don't kept we? Um, we could talk about. Can that, we talk yeah. about that one? For a yeah, minute? yeah. Without, I don't yeah. think many people would know about this. This course, G West, that mm-hmm. you obviously spend a lot of time building, mm-hmm. but no one really has ever played. So, what's the story? <laughs> well. It's just it's an incredible shame for all the people that have put a lot of money in for it, and I guess for the, the guys who backed it with all the money as well. So it was uh, Mahar Altajir, the Highland Spring owner, uh, richest man in Scotland, and uh, decided to build a golf course for with a, a real estate surrounding it. And it's and just it, next door to Glen Eagles. It's 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 the Fall west the of road. the Kings. That's why it's G, yeah. G West Glen Eagles West, but it okay. wasn't affiliated. Uh, David McClay Kid designed. I mean, the design is epic. It's unbelievable. There's not a bad hole on it. Every hole is stunning. The views are amazing. Uh, beautiful uh, fescue bent everywhere. Fescue roughs. Uh, it was a. I'm pretty sure it was a five million pound build, and the clubhouse is about eighteen or nineteen million. And that was quite a while ago now. Yeah, God, I. <laughs> I'm trying to think. So I was at I was at Royal Sinkports for nine years. Uh, so it's it's uh, yeah, this is the course will be cut up to twenty years old. Wow, uh, which is an irrigation system. Usually they say the wiring lasts about twenty years old. So the the funny thing is they'll be looking to maybe renew their irrigation system and it's not even opened yet. So uh, the recession hat hit, uh, COVID hit. Uh, they, they couldn't sell the housing plots for the money they wanted to sell them for. So yeah. their business model. It was actually cheaper to keep the course maintained rather than lose all that money because I mean the housing plots they were looking in the start to sell between one and three million, yeah. and after all the palaver they were probably worth oh god ten percent of that. At so least, it was you know. like an archer field style. Yeah, exactly. Well, it was going to be. It was talked about Queenwood. That was the kind of without the housing. Okay. That's the standard. They were looking just a a small number of members. Uh, I mean the golf buggies we had in were made by Porsche. Uh, Gary, as they were called, they were. Uh, I mean, it was no expense spared really in the construction. And it, I absolutely well, I we the whole team, you know, Lee Strutt, Grant Frogley, Richard Jenkinson, all these guys. What an effort they put in! You know, we we worked so hard, long long hours for 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 the three years that I was there, and the guys are still putting in a shift there, keeping it ticking over. It's so strange. So how many guys do you think they have there now just to maintain I, I think they course? Maybe, I, I wouldn't be speaking out of tongues, I don't know, but they must have about eight. I don't know, maybe less. I'm not sure. I, I, I know through COVID they were just kept keeping it cut, but it's, yeah. it, as I say, you can see it from the A9 as you're driving between uh, Dunblane or Stirling and Perth, but you'll see that the building, people say it looks like a mosque. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's fascinating. You can look at look up G West online. You can see the website and kind of an idea of the housing that we're going to put there. I mean, you're talking multi multi million pound mansions. Yeah. And it's just never happened, and it's a crying shame. And no one's ever played it. Henrik Stenson's played it. Montgomery, a couple of other folk. Yeah. And I've played it twice because I jumped the fence. <laughs> sack me now because there's nothing you could do because I'm out of there. But uh, I, uh, me and my wife Jen, who wasn't my wife at the time, would would. Uh, 
went up there a few times just before I finished, jumped the deer fence and played right the way around. So that is a claim to fame. Yeah. Uh, I probably have a, 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 a bounty out in my head for this now if this yeah. gets released. Uh, but yeah, there was no there was no pins in or anything. So I think at one point I was the first person to complete 18 holes there. Because we had cups in the ground with no pins and I played right the way around. So uh, uh, it's maybe you could say it's the first place I've ever had a course record song. And do you think that could be the only place you've uh, had yeah, ever. So, yeah. far, so far? I'm not even the best golfer in my street, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even the best golfer in my household. But uh, yeah, so uh, G West, yeah, hopefully one day it would be. I always dreamt of going back there for the opening. Yeah. You know, but it's not looking promising to be honest with you, especially with everything that's happened recently. It's just yeah. getting worse and worse. So, but where did you go after? Uh, after there, I, I got the, uh, the uh, to Royal Sinkports. Yeah, after that as deputy, I was two years. I went down there for two years. That was only that's as long as I wanted to spend because I was really looking for a course manager's job. Yeah, and I after two years, I started applying for other jobs. Uh, and then I was lucky enough to get offered the job there because Chris Bernard moved on. Yeah. Uh, good friend of mine, Chris Bernard, who's now at Little Stone, doing great things down there. I worked with him at King's Barnes. And uh, uh, he taught me a lot about how to revet bunkers. You know, he was he was a great friend to me and uh, I really looked up to him. <clears throat> Still do. Uh, and uh spent nine years there in total seven as course manager and that really molded me and gave me put me in prime position to take up this job here you know with army experience having alistair beggs yeah uh, as my agronomist there as well. well before we get on to hoylake and obviously that's um a particularly interesting thing to talk about but before we do deal is an interesting thing to talk about because mm. it's one of my favorite courses anywhere the greens at deal have got to be some of the best greens in England, yeah, and there are some holes there that probably look a lot different now to how they did when you first started. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the third and sixteenth in particular. Mm -hmm. It's always hard to find a really good par five, and you've got or had two of them at, at deal, two of the best in the country, mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned. So, how did the course change over your time, and was there anything you set out to do? That you did do, or, or did things just evolve, or talk me through that process? Oh, I I had a very clear plan at that place, and it actually didn't start with the course. It started with the structure inside. Okay. Uh, I, I knew that we would never be able to create a a, a a top world class golf course there unless we had a world class team. So it was the first thing we started to build. And when I look back now, and some of the years that we had there, some of the teams we had were phenomenal. You know, we had Toro Student Greenkeepers of the Year. We had guys that were leaving to go on to course manager jobs elsewhere yeah. we were churning them out it was brilliant because the club really looked after people they, they invested heavily uh, they were a great club to work for they paid well looked after yeah and it was just good fun you know it wasn't a stressful environment uh, and that is, I still say it's the greatest club in the world you know I think I think people at Hoylake possibly especially my Greens chairman probably get sick of me going on about it so much you know we did this at we did this at, uh, at Deal, we did that at Deal. You know, it's it maybe gets a bit boring for them, but I, I, I feel very strongly about the place. Uh, but it, what we did do, and especially exactly the same as, as what Craig did uh, at Hoylake and, and uh, the guys at Carnoustie, uh, creating a really good float of the golf course is one of the first things we did yeah. between 
greens and tees. It was a lot of uh, red blaze paths before and donkey and goat tracks, you know. So we, we designed a whole irrigation system with Adrian Watrum around my vision of where we were going to go between greens and tees and fairways. So you could essentially putt from the first tee to the 18th green right the way around the course yeah. on, on tight cut, fast grass. Uh, we improved the, the playing surfaces uh, tenfold. Uh, the only thing I didn't feel that we, we got a complete uh, grip of was the sword composition in the greens, which is a great subject to talk about yeah. and one that I'm completely open about. You know, we had a Heinz variety in the greens, you know, 57 varieties. There was fescue bent. I mean, we definitely we increased the fescue content big time. Uh, fescue bent, poor Yorkshire fog, ryegrass. I mean, they were like old course greens, but not anywhere near as good but we still managed to create a great surface on them they, they putted we got good speeds and they were very smooth and we got good great results from them anytime the sdri came down but they didn't look great a lot of the time because of all the different types of blends of grasses we had in them do you sometimes think there's a bit of snobbery in the in the, in the game of, of would you rather have a green that performs well or a green that is technically a better sword composition you know something that's um, something that plays, performs, stands up to well, something that's firm, something that mm -hmm. is going to give you a true and consistent speed. Yes, a hundred percent. Always looking for for performance, and I didn't want to get hung up in that. I, I, I mean, next door at Royal St George's, Paul Larson had uh, rescued all the greens there. Did a great job of creating uh, super fine surfaces yeah. through fescue. Uh, and they're fantastic greens now, but the, I mean the club went through a lot of hardship. We have, we've got the biggest amateur golf. Well, when I say we've got that was deal. We've got the biggest amateur golf tournament in the world every April. Six hundred and forty competitors. It just wasn't right for me to push the club down that rescue route and kill the greens off because we would have lost a lot more grass in Royal St George's because we had a lot more bad grass. Yeah. So. For anyone listening that doesn't understand rescue, is a it's a graminicide, which is essentially like a, a herbicide, but it kills grass. Uh, so it would kill the Yorkshire fog and the ryegrass, of which we had quite a lot of. And I just seen the smile on our golfers' faces every day, and I, they they really enjoyed playing golf. And none of them ever said, "Oh, what's this grass or that grass or why is that there?" They just didn't care. They just wanted fast, smooth, firm greens, and that's what we gave them. If it was my golf course and I got to shut it down for a year, yeah, totally, I would have done it. But, I mean, we had 35, 40,000 rounds a year. This tournament early in yeah. the year, final qualifying, it just, we couldn't do it. Paul was very ballsy with that, and it's it worked really super well now. Especially, well, credit to him. I mean, now it's it's fabulous, isn't that it? That is, it's great, yeah. I mean, St George's, have, they've really they've reaped the rewards of that. And the same at Hoylake, you know, they've uh, Craig did it to the Greens there, and now I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm reaping the, the, the rewards the of that, which is of uh, the benefits. You side. get the upside of it. He's got there's there's fog that's come back in there, patches yeah. of Yorkshire fog, and sadly there's nothing really now we can do with it. And it's up to me to try and work out another way, which we I've got things that we can do, but uh, it's slowly, slowly catchy monkey. I think with that. Well, can we just pause for for a second? Because one of the reasons that I was so keen to do this podcast with you is because I've spent. A lot of time traveling traveling around playing golf courses working in architecture and and learning but i, I always want to be a sponge and, and to learn and i've learned so much about golf courses from 
you and John McLaughlin and and, and a load of other guys and John. in the industry. John. <laughs> um, so John John works down the road at Wallasey, which is somewhere that um, that we are consulting. We being CDP, who I who I work for. Um, but you just rustled through a load of different types of grasses there, mm-hmm. and for a lot of people, that will go right over their heads. Mm-hmm. So there are certain things you need to talk about rescuing to get more fescue and and creeping bends and and all of this kind of stuff. But talk to me just for a minute about your lynx greenkeeper. What do you want? What's your ideal, and and why is that the ideal? Well, I every lynx greenkeeper is different. I mean, there's a lot of lynx guys uh, that just want pure fescue, but I I really love the fescue bent blend. Uh, I feel that uh, it's like cheese and onion. The the, the, the bent's there to kind of harness the fescue and bolster it when it's maybe not performing as yeah. well as it should do. Uh, if you've got a monoculture, just say one or the other, if, if it's down or it's not performing well or feeling great, then your whole system's down, you know? Whereas if you've got one to back it up and they just, they just work well together, it's like fescue and rye in where areas. You know, I mean, there's a lot of football football pitches so the fescue into the rye, believe it or not, which is crazy, but it fills in the blanks. Yeah. So I'm not a monoculture kind of guy. But these uh, are fine grass. These are yes. fine things that when you put over them, mm-hmm. because the grass is so fine, it's not putting up much resistance. Exactly. I mean, fescue is the finest and then bent. Yeah. And then uh, poa cut short's pretty fine. You get a really fast surfaces out of poa. But that's fine because it's half the length of... Well, the, you can shave poa down as well, but it's not... It, it, it can only be fat when it's got, a, like, a, an efflorescence on it, like a seed head. Right. When it seeds once a year or, or later on. Early on, sorry. Uh, usually about May time, poa's brutal. But you have some of the best greens I've ever played on. Sunningdale flawless flawless greens poor greens so i'm not a grass snob these clubs do really well and the golfers are are really happy with it and we're using less and less fungicides and every club has a different budget has Mm -hmm. a different volume of play has a different objective exactly you can't all just say oh yeah we 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 don't want to uh, use fungicides anymore so let's just go to straight fescue but it's not possible you know there's golf courses that just won't won't take it you know you could try and grow it till till the cows come home it's not going to happen uh, whether that be through soil type or traffic, this grass doesn't like heavy soils. It doesn't like a lot of traffic. Uh, I mean, it might be uh, uh, shaded golf courses that it doesn't like either. You know, so I mean, a lot of bent grasses hate hate the shade. So it's just sometimes you've just got to put up with what you've got, yeah, and uh, and, and deal with that. But I mean, what I will say is like the 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 greens up at. Uh, Royal Liverpool, what Craig's done there is just phenomenal. You know, yeah. we've got such a beautiful bend, blend, and I'm really lucky. Every day we walk in them, I think he's like great. Uh, and it's all come together really nice. And Craig had balls as well. You know, he 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 did that. And, and, and I remember him telling me that he had a hell of a time oh, during, yeah. because of the, I mean, you'll, you'll remember the rescue time. Yeah. It's a big setback. So I, I'm lucky enough to have been a. Uh, a member of Hoy Lake, it was the first place I ever swung a golf club. So I've been there for my whole life. And agronomically, the course has changed enormously. So if you, if you go back to the 1980s, which is before my time, but I'm told reliably, I hope, that um, in, in that era, Liverpool, the whole area, was was not really in the best economic health. And the golf course and the golf club were no different. 
And all through that that period of time, Hoylake, which used to be renowned for the quality of its playing surfaces, was terrible. And we then got in a guy called Derek Green, who was the um, who was the course manager all the way through the 1980s, all the way up until actually 2005. And he came from Woven, I think. So his he was tasked, just to your point there, of, of fine grasses. He was tasked when he came in with growing grass mm. on the golf course because it was dead. Well, he, he'd be, in the it dead. you'd be poor and bent down there. And that's what So he came through and then... When he unfortunately passed away in 2005, just the year before the Open came back to Hoylake when Tiger Woods won in 2006 and the course was baked out. And Craig, who you've talked about, Craig Gillen, was, uh, came to us from Muirfield. He was mm-hmm. number two up at Muirfield. Came and then spent basically his time at Hoylake um, trying to improve the agronomy of the greens and the tees and the fairways and um, <laughs> to great success because mm-hmm. it's a transformed golf course now in terms of the fine grasses that are across the sites. It's extraordinary. Um, and then I suppose that leads on you left Dior to come to Hoylake mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year, was it? I can't remember uh, now. Yeah, 31st of January. 31st of January. But going back to the when Sean uh, from Princes and I had, uh, who's now Buckdale, who had, who, uh, we, had, we, had a, we had a walk, and I remember walking on the first green, and it was the first green we seen. Yeah. And we were like, wow. And my biggest fear of taking this job over, it is failure, you know, when you're coming from, my friend Paul Armour at Dunbar always says to me, Bless, you'll get found out one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's right. <laughs> but the, when I was walking on the green, the first green, I was like, Sean, these are amazing. Like, how how can you make that better? It's yeah. absolute perfection. And I'm just happy that after nine months that I've not ballsed it up. Not yet. <laughs> I, I think we'll be fine now. <laughs> uh, I think, we, well, I know enough about the greens now that I can, I'm confident enough that we can we can keep keep doing the great work that Craig, that Craig started. Uh, and uh, I'm glad about that because you could quite easily have cocked that up. Yeah. You know, definitely. It's, uh, I always said, for when going back to always going on about Sunningdale because it's, it's simply my favourite, but I always said I would never fancy the Sunningdale job and Jamie does such a great, Jamie and George do such a great job down there. No, I always said I would never take on the, the, the Sunningdale job because... Uh, I couldn't make that any better. You can only go down here. It's just so good. It's saying? just so good. Every time it's ten out of ten from tea to green. I adore it. But yeah, I mean But it's a different type of golf course, isn't it? Is. it? Yeah, this yeah. is another thing from Parkland to Heathland to mm-hmm. Links. Do you think having worked in different types of golf course and different types of turf over your mm-hmm. over your career, do you feel that you have changed um, or, or, or do you think that different golf courses need to be worked on in different ways? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Lynx courses, uh, Hoylake would need to be worked on differently from Wallace, from Southport and Ainsdale, from West Lanks, etc. You know, they all okay. kind of, uh, everything's so different. What works there doesn't work here, you know, and I, I was completely in that understanding when I left Royal St. Ports because even though you always want to try and do the same things at your next job because you know they worked. Yeah. It's you need to listen to your team. 
And I've had egg in my face a few times here where I've said, no, guys, it'll be fine. I've done it down the road and it's not worked. But I'm man enough to be able to turn around and yeah. tell the say to the team, look, that didn't work. I'll hold my hands up. Uh, but yeah, def- definitely. But I could, I think I'd be confident enough to to have a pop at a Portland or a, a Heathland. But I feel now at this age and where I've had my, my kind of career progression that I want to stay on links now. I'm quite happy on links. Yeah, it's good. I'm 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 used to it, you know. And uh, I I do thrive for tournament golf and for what we've coming up that little medal we've got coming up next July, uh, and I, I feel comfortable at that. Not too comfortable. I'm always a bit on edge, but yeah. So let's talk about championship golf then. So you, at deal you had the British boys. Would that be was that the largest RNA amateur championship in? 13. Of course, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, with uh, Garrick Porteous won that. Okay. Phenomenal golfer. Yeah. Uh, plays challenge tour now. That was that was great. And then we had final open qualifiers for four years in a row. Yeah. Uh, and we really pleased the RNA. You know, they loved working with us. Ewan Mordorant was the guy who was in charge of it. And Ewan used to really enjoy coming down to deal. Yeah. Because... It was a stress-free environment for him, and we, we did everything we needed to do to make the RNA, RNA's the tournament a success. And it was one of the things I was insisting. You know, you know what? I'll tell you something really funny. I was watching, you know, the Open Chronicles. Yeah. Nick Price at Turnberry, where he held that big eagle putt in seventeen and went running round the green. And I was watching it the other night, and I said to Jen, my wife, I said, Jen, I was at that, and I was behind that green, uh, watching that, and I remember getting a little polythene bag. And grabbing some of the rough and putting it in, in a polythene bag and sealing it and putting it at the bottom of my red, white, and blue Pinel 8 bag. Is that before or after you took a video of the uh, hand dryer? <laughs> That's weird, isn't it? But it's, uh, I must have been, I don't know, what, what age? I'm going to be 10 or 12 or something, I don't know. So you've but, always been obsessed with the Yeah, glasses. definitely. And, and I, I put that in my bag thinking it's like good luck, you know? Yeah. Because I've got like an open golf course and put it at the bottom of my bag. And now to think that I'm an open yeah, course manager cool. is nuts. That's crazy. So maybe this year, after, I'll maybe do that again. I might, I should do that, shouldn't I? That'd be weird. So you've got nine months. It's October now. It's July. So, well, end of October. So just over nine months. What's the, uh, are, are you looking forward to it? Are you nervous? Are you not really thinking about it just yet? And, uh, or, and will you be sad? Do you think when it's when it's all over? Yeah, I'm, I'm massively looking forward to it. Not nervous about it. Sometimes I get a little tickle, but it's it's. Uh, I, I'm I'm not in it alone. It's very important yeah. as well as having. I've got a team of twelve of us. Yeah. Uh, and they're all fantastic, and they've all got my back. You know, they're a brilliant bunch of guys and girls, and uh, we've. I, I don't feel that stress by it. We, 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 we get a lot of work done every week. You know, we've got all the bunkers to finish. We've revetted half last year. We're revetting half this year, putting in two new bunkers next week. But every week we've made our goals and we've actually made our goals and more, which is good. Uh, and I'm, I'm quite, uh, I'm quite excited about, about the, uh, getting everything done before Christmas. We get that done. And then January, February, bit of education, Harrogate, GIS, Horrible months, January, February. We'll just yeah. be doing bits of gorse trimming and stuff, you know, top dressing, loads of sand to go out, loads and loads of sand to go out. And then uh, we can uh, start ramping up in March, I guess. 
Uh, and before we know it, you know, it'll be here. I've got the volunteer team all ready to go. We've got all the clothing ready to go. We've got their digs. You know, we're we're flying. And uh, I think afterwards, we'll uh, be deflated. I think there's a lot of course managers that I know, the open courses that say that it's the, the tough times afterwards. But I'm planning just bugging off somewhere. <laughs> I, think I'll, I think I'll run away <laughs> Take for a, a couple bit. of weeks. Yeah, I don't know if I... Like, it depends, isn't it, what the weather's like. If... What have you done this year? What What have been the things that you've had to prioritise and, and work on mm -hmm. to get the golf course where you want it to be? I think one of the first things I wanted to do is to kind of try and make it a bit easier for member golf. Mm. Uh, I, I, I think through feedback a lot, the rough's been very thick over the years and it's been very difficult. So by chopping down a lot of these areas where members hit it and not the not the open guys. So we worked hard with it and a document with Alistair Beggs uh, and, and the Greens chairman, Matt Way, to work out where members hit it. And we, we romped everything down and it's been a bit easier this year. But to be fair, it's been a very dry year. I mean, it's been the driest year in history. Yeah. So rough has been non-existent this year. Uh, so, but that was when it was there. We just made it a little bit easier in the earlier summer months. Uh, we worked a lot on bunker presentation, uh, making sure the ball returns to the bottom of the bunker by creating a bowl, so mm -hmm. shaping the bunkers out, and presentation of the face as well. So spraying uh, total weed kill on the face and then burning them off with a roof burner to have that kind of crisp black face uh exactly things we did at deal you know i'm a one-trick pony <laughs> i just steal ideas from the last place but uh and i think the biggest thing really this year again is just with the team you know the, the grass is the easy part it's, it's it's when you go to a new team especially one that's been working with the same guy for 16 and a half cool. years you're totally off to a bad one to start off with you know it's it's pretty hard to to, I mean, not that I was looking to win people over, but, you know, I want to get on well with everyone and I, I want us all to work well together. But it's it's not easy when, if you have a new idea that you might think can help the place, but then someone's been doing it the same way for 16 years, you're always going to come up against resistance. And uh, I, I feel we're in a good place and uh, the team are actually they're very open-minded and they're, uh, they're, they're like, incredibly pleasant you know so we've not had any resistance you know we've all gotten well uh but i think that's probably been the biggest thing is working yeah. with the team and putting my kind of stamp on it inside the shed outside the shed you know whether that be uh physically the way the way that the maintenance facilities set out or the way we purchase the way we budget report the way we educate the way we plan all these things uh completely different because we're all different you know yes uh craig craig was incredibly old school and uh he i mean he told me that himself so he, he won't mind me saying that you know uh he liked to do things that way and i'm kind of a wee bit younger than craig not much younger but a bit younger i think i'm seven seven years younger than craig but he's <laughs> uh, he's certainly a lot fitter than me Craig was Craig was young physique. when he started though, wasn't he? And yeah, he came yeah. he came from an old school, uh, well Muirfield. Yeah, yeah. And he, but he he would have managed Hoylake like Muirfield would manage probably, yeah. you know. And this is the way it, this is the way it works. Uh, and we all do things differently. We're not, we're not the same people. So, uh, and if it was another person that got the job, then they would do things completely different, you know. Sure. So I think 
it's always the diff most difficult thing. Yeah. Many roads lead around, don't they? Exactly, so. yeah. And, and Ben Williams down at Royal Sinkports that's taken on after me, my old deputy, uh, who I hold up there in the highest, highest regard. Well, I've, I heard Dale has never been better. It's the, the best it's ever been. But it would be because Ben is <laughs> he's phenomenal, you know, and he had his own ideas. Uh, he, he blew the committee away, the board away, when, when, when he had his job interview there. And he's completely deserving of that job and he will smash it. Uh, he's the best greenkeeper on the planet. Love you him. must take some pride from some of the guys that you've worked with. You know, Ben following on from you at mm -hmm. Deal, uh, Greg Easton down at Hailing. Yeah, Greg's fantastic as well. Yeah. Do you think? Do you see that as a really important part of your job as as not just as the course manager but as the team manager of of your group? To single most important job. Yeah. The single mo because being a course manager is not just about looking after the course I, I got a massive kick out of developing people you know I, i'm an ftmi mentor a future tough manager initiative i do a lot of public speaking I, I get weekly emails and phone calls from people that i've mentored and helped out asking for advice and i, I love helping people out uh greg easton at halen is exceptional you know he was my deputy for a couple of years and he was brilliant he's gone on to smash it down there i mean halen has never been as good oh. never and the same as ben lee company again you know and there's people like uh keith the mechanic at yep. royal sinkports keith uh just i mean he won't mind me saying this because we were quite open about this that he just kind of plodded along in life and then we left there uh, he's probably my one of my single biggest achievements actually him himself because he is not only now a fantastic mechanic you know, he was just a, a assistant greenkeeper that liked servicing his car. Now he's got his own bloody mechanic's email address and his own office, and he does right. everything down there. I've seen him stripping engines. It's like never ever thought that possible. Yeah, because he's he's got the motivation to do it now. And every time I go down and see him, he just gets better and better. And, and the belief, he, the belief maybe that you know. Well, he's, he's networking with like the mechanics from uh, London Club and from Walton Heath, yeah. and he's texting them and stuff. And his life's changed. That's the thing. His life's changed, otherwise he would probably just have been out, oh, cuts around today, cut greens tomorrow, you know? So we'll get John McLaughlin on, on here from Wallasey, and um, and John is just as possibly, made, dare I say, even more passionate. John is a, you know what John is? Go on. He's a management badger. <laughs> That's a, set, a whole separate subculture <laughs> that we might, um, we probably probably won't, probably shouldn't pluck at. But, um, but you obviously take great stock in this but you must have um had the benefits of people mentoring you over the years i, I didn't realize that lee strutt mm. was it did you say he was at king he's at Ca uh, no lee was g west, g west now he's at cabot and now he's at cabot yeah but, it's, it's, he's got more letters after his name than anyone on the planet i know he's someone that you've talked about as being a bit of a mentor yeah. to you uh, Lee, Lee is uh, without a doubt, yeah, because because he was so hard on me, you know, he was he, he kicked my arse up and down uh, the shed at G West and made me kind of realise maybe that I should be doing this and that to further my career. He, he pushed me into public speaking, and him and his wife Sammy Strutt, who's one of the she's the CEO of uh, Bigger, oh wow, okay, uh, chief operating officer, and the pair of them together, you know, they're they're a whirlwind and they've they've helped me no end. But Lee's. Uh, Ah, he's he's just he's just brilliant, you know. And any time I ever kind of doubt myself or doubt someone I'm doing, I go to Lee about it. He's 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 
he ticks a lot of boxes. Uh, we don't always agree on everything, uh, and we can be quite honest with each other. But yeah, masses of respect for him, and uh, yeah, he's he's some man. Jesus Christ, we'll get him on this hundred yeah. percent. After well, I think we're coming up to an hour of whittering on, so I think that's probably a good point to stop. You know, we've got no end of topics that we could. Also, about, we're so. going to see uh, a Radiohead and Pink Floyd tribute band tonight. Yeah, in that's the real so reason is, we're yeah. calling it. <laughs> We've got to go and get our train over to the yeah. um Got to get our dark side of the moon. <laughs> um, but look, I'd, I'd love to know if you're listening to this. There's not going to be many of you listening, but if you are, what would you like to hear from? You know, I've, I've been traveling the country playing stuff and I've met so many interesting people. I'd love to get some of those guys on and share some of those stories from not just the big clubs, not just the deals and the hoylakes of the world, but the Dernesses and the tries and 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 the the courses that probably most people haven't heard of, but you should do because they're brilliant. And there are greenkeepers out there who have a dozen staff or two dozen staff and and a budget that would probably expect great things from. But then there are also greenkeepers out there who are a one man band, and it's just one man and his mower and a few quid, and they can still come up with something that's mind bogglingly good. So I'm thinking it would be great to showcase the real diversity across the industry. Architects, agronomists, all of these people that we've talked about, you know, so much goes into setting up a golf course. I think for the weekend warriors who just stand on the first tee and expect everything to be great, then realistically, how many people know just how much goes into making a golf course the place where we enjoy spending our time? So... If you've got any messages or, or anything that you want to hear about, deeper dives on the open, deeper dives on Bledge and his career, whatever it might be, um, I'd love to hear because we're at your disposal. And it would be great to to do this for a period of time to showcase some of the industry. That's my idea. And Bledge, I'm so grateful that you are willing to share your expertise and time to um to add some credibility to it no that's it it's an exciting little venture i'm looking forward to discussing following more avenues with other guys like-minded badgers mm. in our industry that's a requirement you've got to be a golf badger to be on the podcast and it helps if you're a go- golf badger to listen to us as well so thank you very much for listening we'll call it a night and um, until next time goodbye goodbye